No, sir. This land is mine. God gave this land to me. This brave and ancient land to me. children can run free so take my hand and walk this land with me and walk Good evening and welcome to Yada Yawa. Before we get started with the review of Ezekiel uh, this evening, which is where we are in our, our program, uh, I'd like to offer some appreciation to uh, four individuals in particular. Uh, we have made tremendous progress here over the last four to six weeks in social media, that, which is something I've done everything in my power to avoid. Uh, I am not a social media person. I have never used social media. I don't don't even like social media. Uh, But I recognize that in today's world, it is the most effective way to disseminate a message. And fortunately, we have uh, a woman who is really effective at it. She has devoted herself to it. Uh, Tonight, the outreach is in Buenos Aires, Argentina, and so I want to thank Dee for the effort that she's making to provide content to our social media accounts, uh, as well as uh, um, the marketing effort that she is undertaking to convey Xiao's message. And when I say marketing effort, it's, uh, I have to say it a bit in, um, cautiously in the sense that uh, we're not selling anything. Um, you're free as a listener to accept or reject what we, uh, we have to say. Uh, we do not have uh, a donate button. We don't accept any money from anyone. Our books are free in their entirety online. Uh, they're royalty-free through Amazon if you prefer the printed uh, material. Uh, this show is provided without uh, advertisement. We do this because we love Yahweh uh, and we have committed ourselves to calling his people home. So I want to thank Dee for the work that uh, she has done. She has worked uh, tirelessly mm-hmm. with, with uh, Leah and with others, but it is a marvelous job. The second is, uh, of course, uh, Jackie. Uh, Jackie is the, is the editor and publisher of all of the books that we have written. She's a phenomenal editor. She has become a spectacular publisher. 
and she's the the glue that holds it all together the the discipline that that makes it happen so that we're presenting a uh, a product worthy of uh, of Yawa. and so I, I do want to thank the extraordinary the wonderful uh, Jackie uh, it is uh, also important for us to recognize just how um, wonderful, uh, professional, uh, user-friendly the website Yada Ya has become. And there's so many tools being developed in what's called David Sandbox behind the scenes. But uh, David, thank you for the work that you've done on the yadaya.com website. The presentation is uh, spectacular. It is user-friendly. Uh, there is an enormous amount of information. It's uh, all exceedingly accessible. We do a, a much better job now of linking to the community that supports this work. Um, uh, those like uh, Steve who presented on uh, our work on, on YouTube and, and those uh, uh, who um, have been devoted uh, to, like James, to presenting the audio archives of these, uh, of these programs. Um, mm -hmm. So thank you uh, for that. And Kirk, uh, you and I were talking uh, before this program began. I've done something uh, that I never thought I would do. Um, and I can't, in good conscience, stop doing it, but it has definitely changed the amount of input that you've been able to have in these programs. And it's not because your input isn't valued. Your input is actually exceedingly valuable and, and, uh, and desired. Uh, but somewhere along the way, during the rewrite of these books, uh, something changed. And the thing that changed was this realization that Yahweh had a lot to say about what we're doing. Mm -hmm. What we're doing is exceedingly important to him. And so once we recognized that it would be inappropriate to deny that, it would be inappropriate uh, to in any way diminish the involvement Yahweh and his spirit are having in the message that we're conveying. Uh, my writing changed. Um, it weren't, wasn't all my words anymore, but, uh, but words that Yahweh was, uh, to a large degree, inspiring. Um, and it's noticeable too. You know, yeah, it it, it is different, and yeah. you know, we're not claiming yeah. to be a, a prophet. In fact, that's not true at all. It's, no, uh, no. it's simply a witness, probably the last witness. Um, mm -hmm. And you know, and we have people like Mike who is doing a spectacular job of uh, of making sure that what we say is precisely uh, accurate. Um, yes, but because the the insights, the commentary, um, so much richer and so much more precise pertaining to Yahweh's message. Uh, I've come to the point where I'm sharing what I felt I was inspired to write. Um, as opposed to the previous programs had always been, I'll share the translation but from the translation on, it was all extemporaneous, which for me was more, um, it was I, maybe slightly more enjoyable just because 
it uh, by doing so we always came up with fresh ideas uh, new insights mm-hmm. um, but at this point I can't I just cannot do that in good conscience because there's just too much well accompanies these translations now that Yahweh wants his people to hear and so we're we're sharing it as uh, uh, as it was inspired and uh, I do want our listeners to know that this is a labor of love. Uh, most mornings I'm in this chair, uh, five o'clock to five thirty Atlantic time. That's uh, oh, four thirty Eastern Standard Time. Uh, it's uh, what one thirty in the morning uh, your time, Kirk. Mm-hmm. And most days I finally leave this chair, translating and commenting uh, about. Uh, 7.30 or 8 at night. Um, this is a labor of love. And the gain, of course, we have personal gain. We, we learn. We enjoy our time with Yah. Uh, that is rewarding. Well, that's not the reason that we do- devote so much time to it. It's just there's very little time left. There are very few Yehudim who are listening. And Yahweh has committed to have a day of reconciliations. And so it's important that we make certain that there are some Jews there who finally recognize Yahweh's name, accept the terms and conditions of his covenant, and begin to turn from their Talmud to his Torah. So with that said, uh, before we uh, again commence into Ezekiel, uh, picking up where we left off last week, which mm-hmm. was Yaketzel 719, uh, I want to talk a little bit about the uh, the Ukraine. Um, there are probably less than than 20 people in the world that are saying what I'm saying on the Ukraine. In fact, if you combine all that is being said here in this program about the Ukraine of one-on-one, uh, I am telling you emphatically that the Russians were provoked into invading the Ukraine. They were given no choice. And that this was a replay of the Cuban Missile Crisis, but this time we didn't have someone with Kennedy's character or intellect in the White House. And so rather than say we will demilitarize uh, Turkey, which is where we had our missiles at the time, and we will commit not to reinvade Cuba, um, and make Cuba part of the American sphere of influence. The Russians withdrew their missiles. We withdrew our missiles from Turkey, uh, and we avoided world war. This time, we're aggravating world war. And it's perplexing in a way because, while I can understand why Biden wants it, uh, his popularity had plunged to the point he was going to be trounced during the midterms, and it's hard to to oust a wartime president. That's the way Americans are. Remember the main uh, Gulf of uh, Tonkin, the sinking of the Lusitania. Americans will swoon uh, and sacrifice their li- lives on the grandest of lies. It's just something uh, about uh, a deficit in American character. So I understand why he did it. Um, 
I understand why the progressives that dominate his administration uh, want it, which is that uh, COVID was made a grand stride to a one-world government, to nationalized control over business and people's liberty, even a unified control over the media. Turned out that everything that they said was wrong. In fact, here's an interesting anecdote. Um, This week, uh, the chief uh, um, entomologist from Sweden was asked to be part of the World Health Organization's leadership as it relates to viruses going forward. And a journalist, a progressive no doubt, took exception with that and said, but he was the head of Sweden's very controversial program where there were no lockdowns and where there was no deprivation of livelihood. Uh, and as a result, they had uh, among the highest death rates in Europe. And I realized it would have taken him 30 seconds to fact check. If evidence and reason meant anything to a progressive who dominate the media and politics today, they've taken 30 seconds to check. The fact of the matter is that Sweden ranks 57th in in a mortality per 100,000 people of COVID, 57th. In Europe, they're, uh, they're 25th. They're not amongst the worst in Europe, their 25th. Uh, It was much safer to be in Sweden than in the United States, in France, in Italy, in the UK, in Spain, and on and on it goes, countries that were vicious with their government-imposed lockdowns. The opposite of what the journalist wrote was to affect the opposite of what was said about COVID through the fear-mongering and the unified voice in the media turned out to be true. Mm-hmm. Precisely what I said was true about COVID, two months into it, in fact, uh, you can read that uh, because I, I wrote two months into to COVID in the West, I de- devoted a chapter of coming home to it to show how the deprivation of livelihoods and liberty was counterproductive. So here we are with groupthink, and we don't just have the Democrats trying to salvage their tattered reputations with provoking the Russians to invade uh, Ukraine. We have the Republicans. I saw a video. I don't normally watch videos, but this one I was spellbound to see. It shows Lindsey Graham. Lindsey Graham is the one who said recently that uh, that uh, Putin should be assassinated. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, that's, that's how to win friends and influence people. Uh, uh, it, shows, it shows America is the ultimate uh, peace-loving nation, doesn't it? Uh, and hmm. he was there with, uh, with John McCain. You know, John is somebody I knew pretty well. Uh, and they were, of all places, they were in the Ukraine. They were in the Ukraine um, probably two years, maybe three years after Obama's miscalculation 
where the Obama administration decided that we could make NATO viable again uh, if we uh, sponsored a coup in the Ukraine and toppled the properly elected democratic government uh, and make the Ukraine pro-Western, pro-Europe in the United States, dependent upon the IMF as opposed to a client of Russia. It backfired. That move is what led to the invasion. But this video shows Lindsey Graham telling the Ukrainians. Now, this is uh, eight years ago. Your enemy is our enemy. Your war is our war. We stand beside you in this fight. What war? The war they wanted. So the Republicans are as guilty at inspiring and provoking this war and anticipated it eight years ago. You know, Putin uh, came out the other day and said, yeah, the West is an empire of lies. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I am still wondering why, no matter... Biden became more popular, NATO became vital, that those things turned out exactly the way they had schemed. The Republicans are still trying to fight the Cold War. Uh, Their military-industrial complex gets funded again. I get all that. But you're spitting in the face of a man that has the largest nuclear arsenal in the world. I mean, that is brain dead. That's beyond stupid. And so why would anyone engage in suicide like this? Sure, the liberals want the Great Reset. They want to continue to destroy the reserve currency status of the United States upon which the economy Disintegrates. They want to continue to destroy the credibility of the U.S. dollar uh, and the economy, of which they're doing a magnificent job. Inflation is roaring again. The currency is uh, only has value in the right. minds of, of those mm-hmm. who believe in it. And so, yes, they're moving towards the destruction of America and the obliteration of the world. And it's a uniform voice. It's an echo chamber out there. Um, it's, uh, it's bewildering that man can be so stupid. The last line that I wrote in the last chapter I was editing, I'm in the final chapter of volume three of, uh, of An Introduction to God. It's the longest volume so far. Um, this happens to be uh, a chapter in that. I think this is chapter 11. I'm in chapter 13 of... Volume 3 of An Introduction to God. And um, one of the things that I've learned is that as shrill as the voice is of Yahweh through Yaketzel Ezekiel, and it's shrill, he despises Judaism. And he hates Christianity and Islam too, and secular humanism as well. But he views Judaism as the greatest assault on his people ever waged. And 
one of the things you quickly learn is that the message through Daniel and Malachi, Malachi, the message through Yashia, Isaiah, and Yermia, Jeremiah, Zachariah, Zachariah, yes. it's all the same. It's all the same. Amazing. God is saying, I despise Judaism. <clears throat> I despise the religion of my people. It is repulsive. It's an abomination. It is an utter and complete rejection of who I am. It's unforgivable, and it's so bad that the only option is to obliterate my own people. And that brings me back to the Ukraine. Kirk, what's the birthplace of uh, Hadistic Judaism, which is the most popular, fastest-growing, most dominant form of Judaism today? Ukraine, of course. It's in Ukraine. Yes. Hadistic Judaism was created by Baal Shem Tov, uh, Israel uh, Eliezer, in um, uh, early early 1700s. Uh, Kirk, what is the most anti-Semitic place on Earth in terms of, of pogroms, the torturous treatment, well, murderous it, treatment of, uh, of Jews prior to and during the Holocaust? You know, I, I believe the number is 80, 80% uh, in Ukraine and, and rather vicious. Yeah. I mean, yeah. beyond vicious. 80%, yeah, 80% yeah. of the world's most vicious attacks mm-hmm. on Jews took place in Ukraine. Many of them, two and three hundred years before the Nazis even rose to power. So the most anti-Semitic place on earth, the place that has been most brutal to God's people, and the religion that has been the most destructive to God's relationship with his people, both emerged in the Ukraine. So as we move towards the end of days, and Yahweh's return in... uh, October of 2033, year 6,000, Yah. And God has to clean house. He has to remove the vermin uh, for his people to dwell safely. What better place to start than the Ukraine? Yeah. You know, do that. All right, so we're going to return to where we were at the end of our last program. And I understand that we're, we have spent, we've been doing this now for 20 years, and been doing this program, uh, the audio part of this program, for a better part of 12 years. So we've been doing this a long time. And for the most part, the, the written presentation of Yahweh's testimony and the audio presentation have been uh, exceedingly uplifting, uh, empowering, enlightening, liberating, joyful. As really God even. presents, yeah, thrilling. As yeah. God presents uh, his plan, his uh, desire uh, to do these wonderful things for us and for his family. And we have avoided uh, what Christians would call eschatology. Not completely, but considerably. We really didn't mm-hmm. get into great detail as to what was going to happen between now and 2033 uh, until we 
uh, until I wrote the the presentation of uh, of Kapuram, which is why we spent so many of these programs covering all God has to say about Kapuram, which is Kapuram is his return. It's the day of reconciliations. And there we learn that that there are not going to be a lot of people reconciled. Most of God's people are going to die. Israelites are going to die. As a matter of fact, more non-Israelites per capita are going to die and overall are going to die than Israelites. But uh, nonetheless, it's going to be a very small reunion. And from there, uh, as I uh, transitioned into the introduction to God, the first volume was very uplifting. The second volume... Well, there was far more material in the second volume as we proceeded to see what God had to say about his Torah throughout the Torah, Prophets, and Psalms. We moved to, uh, to realize that most of the time when he brings up his Torah, it is also in conjunction with, but you didn't listen to it, but you didn't follow it, but you paid no attention to it, but you rejected it. And as a consequence, this is what's going to happen. Well, volume two was biting because of that. But nothing compares to volume three of an introduction to God where we have proceeded to convey what the prophets had to say about the Torah. And almost every time the prophets bring up Yahweh's Torah, which means teaching, guidance, instruction, and direction, Mm -hmm. it is to tell Yisrael and Yahudah that by rejecting it, by replacing it with the Talmud, by being religious as opposed to being responsive in the relationship, that they're committing suicide. And that's what Ezekiel is saying. Now, I provide that background because as we move forward here, this is not a pretty picture. It's something that Yahweh's people need to hear. But this is not a happy picture. And there is this tendency to, uh, to write off this message by saying that, well, Yaketzel Ezekiel was disgruntled. But as I said, it's the exact same message in Zechariah's Zechariah, as in Yashiah Isaiah, as in Yermiah, Jeremiah. And Hosea, Hosea, and Malachi. The exact same message. And the inspiration for all of these words is the exact same God. So there is no way to excuse it. There's no way to justify it. There's no way to wiggle around it. There's no way to sanely, intelligently pretend that this is not God's indictment against his people. Now, before we, and I have so many caveats here before we begin. <clears throat> there is a tendency in the world to say that anytime you speak against Judaism or any Jewish custom, that you're being anti-Semitic. Well, if that's the case, then Yahweh is anti-Semitic. And that's rather hard since 
Shem is a, is a name My and a name. word that he conceived, and Shem means name, and uh, he is exceedingly fond of his name, as well as the name he gave to his people. Yahweh gave them the name Yahudem, which means beloved of Yah. So I don't think Yahweh was anti-Semitic. In fact, he has more energy, more sacrifices, more words, more tears. Yeah. to Yehuda than all the rest of the people on earth combined. They still remain his people. They are still his family. So what we're doing here is we're reporting the words that Yahweh conveyed and considering their implications. Uh, to write that off as being anti-Semitic is to use an ad hominem argument against God. And while it's never wise to use an ad hominem argument against a man, it is stupid. <laughs> to it. Yeah, just stu- stupid to use it against God. All right, so while the great reconciliation and reaffirmation of Israel and the covenant will proceed as planned, although it will be light, a lightly attended affair, the great reset, the great reset is when the Bidens of the world continue to destroy the value of, of currency and economies such that money becomes meaningless and useless. It is already a debt instrument. It's a liability. Uh, and it's soon going to have no value whatsoever. He's going to throw it away because it's useless. And so the Great Reset is to replace the world's currencies with a different currency that is controlled and regulated by the most elite and empowered around the world. Their money and their valued property, Yahweh inspired Ezekiel to write, they will throw into the streets. Their gold and their precious metals will come to be sullied, devalued, and corrupted. Well, there's much more to Yaketz Yah, or Yaketzel, uh, 7.19. But just think about that. Money, prior to the creation of fiat currency, fiat currency is a currency based on debt as opposed to on an asset. Mm-hmm. What an unbelievably destructive idea. But nonetheless, fiat currency was propagated around uh, 1920. It was propagated uh, by Woodrow Wilson, uh, Colonel House initially, um, through a scheme to create a central bank in America. Uh, It has no checks and balances. Uh, The currency is constantly devalued by inflating uh, the money supply. Mm -hmm. And it is something that changes fundamentally the nature of money because money previously had all been asset-based. It was based on gold or silver. So you had Mm -hmm. a, a real tangible asset that had value around the world that you were offering. Even when paper money was created, it was a silver certificate or backed by gold. But there is no backing currency now. Uh, the mm-hmm. money is created as a debt instrument. 
the liability. And so only now can, a, can this even happen. It didn't happen during the, uh, the uh, Great Depression. Money still had value that just wasn't very much of it. No. People didn't have very much of it. Uh, and so it was people starved, people were out of work, but we're going to come at a time where money is just no longer valued. Uh, that's only possible today. So this prophecy, which is what, 2,600 years old, should be enough to get your attention to say, how in the world did this fellow, Ezekiel, predict that a time would come when money and precious metals have no value. But he did. He said their currencies and their coins will fail them as they will be incapable of prevailing so as to deliver them or save them during the day of anger and rage of Yahweh. Okay, so we have a new wrinkle. The day of anger and rage. Bahom mm-hmm. Ebra. The time of fury and wrath of Yahweh. Yahweh has had moments where he has intervened in human affairs, where he's done things uh, because he was disappointed with humankind, where he was trying to accomplish something important, and, and a lot of people died. Uh, the flood. He destroyed the entire region around the Black and Caspian Seas and up through the Tigris and Euphrates rivers where humans with an Asama had become religious and vicious and political and militaristic. And he was disparaged that he'd even created humankind in the first place. But he gave us a fresh start. When liberating his people from the crucibles of religious and political oppression in Mitzrayim, misnamed Egypt, uh, when the Egyptians wouldn't let his people go, he assured them that they paid a dear price, showing that there is a consequence associated with abusing his people. But since that time, other than to tell us that if you abuse his people, where you're going to find that uh, life is, uh, is short. Um, and look at the, the nations, Imperial Rome, gone. Uh, Greece, uh, essentially gone. Um, mm-hmm. The Roman Catholic Church, disintegrating. Um, the Ottoman Empire, gone. Nazi Germany, gone. It doesn't work. Look at the Ukraine, the, the, the uh, pogrom, capital of the world being destroyed. But nothing compares to what's going to happen upon Yah's return. He, he is up to this point. He has created the opportunity for us to be as bad as we want to be. Free will and all. Choose to know him or not know him. Bleak for a good long portion of that uh, for Thousands of years, there wasn't a single person that listened to Yahweh that wanted to engage in a relationship with him. Thousands of years. Yeah. But 
we're reaching a point where there may be no one in Israel that is willing to boldly pronounce Yahweh's name, that understands his Torah means teaching and guidance, that understand that the covenant has conditions, responsibilities, and benefits, understands the relationship between the Moed and Mikre, the seven annual uh, invitations to meet with God, and how they facilitate the benefits of the covenant and actually structure time from our exodus from the garden to our return to the garden over a period of 6,000 years. No one. And so God has to deal with that. He wants to come back, and he not just wants to come back. He will come back on Yom Kippurim in year 6,000, yeah, October 2nd. 6.22 p.m. as the sun sets in Jerusalem. And he's coming back with Dode as the Messiah and King. And the purpose is, as Kippurim indicates, uh, to reconcile his relationship with Yisrael and Yehuda. Now, he doesn't say how many, other than to say there'll be very few. And there'll be some Goyim along with them. But everyone else, it's over. God is not happy upon his return. He will be delighted come Sukkah, and all of the rubbish is gone. But as he returns, it's a day of anger and rage, disgust for the religious and for the political, but particularly for Judaism. He goes on to say, their souls will not be satisfied. Their guts will be emptied out and spilled. This is a visceral, graphic mm-hmm. portrayal. For indeed, their propensity to pervert and corrupt the truth has been and will be the obstacle in their way and a stumbling block. The perceived status of his glorified trappings and his adornment, that which he used to feed his arrogance and pride and to convey his lofty appearance in addition to the reprehensible religious objects of worship, their role models, their fanciful representations and venerated images are among the vile and filthy, even repulsive things that they have engaged in and profited from, as well as celebrated. And therefore I will give him over to their corrupt and defiled things. We'll continue this in a, in a, uh, in a moment, but let's take a moment and consider mm-hmm. what God just said. Money no longer has any value. Just throw it into the streets. Precious metals, devalued. Currencies and coins fail, incapable of prevailing. We're approaching a day of anger and rage. The world is, is headed that way at breakneck speed, as I said, by, by sanctioning Russia the way that the West has done, we've assured that the damage already done to our economies and the stupidity of the COVID response 
is now complete. It is a it's a series of decisions of which there is no return. Uh, guaranteed destruction. Their souls, God says, and he's speaking to his people, are never satisfied. As a result, their guts will be empty out and spilled. This is very graphic. This is personal with God. He is disgusted with the religion of Judaism for pretending to speak for him, for pretending to be Torah observant when they're looking at their goddamn Talmud, for centuries failing to disclose his name, despising his name, for choosing to be religious over establishing a relationship with him. He's spilling their guts. You don't like it? Tough. Stop being religious. For indeed, their propensity to pervert and to corrupt the truth has been and will be the obstacle in their way, a stumbling block. If you don't want God mad at you, stop twisting his testimony. Share it the way he conveyed it. Now, I'm doing these translations in English. Why? Because guess what? More Jews speak English than any other language, including Hebrew. God-forsaken, ultra-Orthodox, the ascetics speak Yiddish. Yes, Yahweh's testimony is in Hebrew, but it's so badly rendered in modern Hebrew, you might as well be translating it. And if you're going to translate it, why not translate it into the language more Jews understand and more people around the world understand than any other? The problem with Judaism is that they lie. They lie about everything. The perceived status of Judaism. You know, in Judaism and Israel, in fact, the ultra-Orthodox in Israel, mm-hmm. have about 50% of the power in that country. It's a split between the secular and the religious, and there's only one accepted religion in uh, Israel. And they're vicious about that. The ultra-Orthodox, the black suit dudes with the mm-hmm. curly cues and the black hats, they uh, are absolutely insistent that the only religion that matters that gets any influence, is the Hasidics. Now, this is not an old religion. This is a religion that was conceived by Baal Shem Tov in the Ukraine around 1700. And it is nothing but a perversion of the truth. But they have status in Israel. They decide who gets to be a citizen, who is viewed as a convert. And why is that being viewed as a convert important? Because God hates converting to any religion, including Judaism. Because if you're not a convert, you're not considered Jewish. Yeah, the religious Jews, the ultra-Orthodox, the ascetics, and Israel 
do not consider you Jewish based upon your ethnicity, but instead of based upon your religiosity. They've done exactly the opposite of what God said. God says you cease to be a Yahud, beloved of Yah, when you become religious. But it is the genetic descendants of Jacob are those that I love. God's view and the religious view in Judaism are exactly the opposite. And of course, there's the head rabbi for everything. They're also over control the food supply and uh, their ridiculous kosher laws, a source of income from them. And they're the ones who decide who gets married and who gets divorced. Netanyahu was the idiot that gave them this power so that he could be empowered in the parliamentary system. The Toaba is a very um, strong word, but so is Iba. God calls their religion reprehensible. He says they worship role models, and they do. Why are there so many Jews in the Ukraine? Because they worship, venerate Baal Shem Tov. That's why. And therefore, Yahweh says, I will give them up to their corrupt and defiled things. God's fair. You want to be religious? You can be religious. It's just that the consequence of religious is an express ticket to Sheol. Religious Jews deny that Sheol even exists. Well, I, uh, I have news for you. You're headed there. And when you get there, you're going to find lots of like company. Because all the other rabbis and Hasidic Jews will be there with you. So I will allow him to be given into the hands of unauthorized and illegitimate strangers and to be plundered by the wicked and the unrighteous of the land and of the earth to be preyed upon. And they will corrupt and defile it, desecrating and dishonoring it. Yaketzel, Ezekiel 7.21. And it's what happened. Had Yehudim been Torah observant, had they listened to Yahweh, had they celebrated Yahweh's name, then they would never have had the time out in Babylon. They would never have endured the influence of the Greeks under Alexander. They would never have endured the three Roman invasions. They would never have been part of the diaspora. They never would have endured the Holocaust. None of it would have happened. But it all did happen because Jews rejected God. They turned their backs on him. And so he turned his back on them. So as we move forward in time, your money will not buy a reprieve, no matter if it's invested in gold or in bitcoins and cryptocurrency. Your possessions will not provide protection, even if it's a gun 
and you've got hollow point bullets. You cannot eat silver, and there'll be no market for gold. Upon Yahweh's return, money will have no value. Having endured the pettiness of his people while rescuing them from the crucibles of religion and political oppression, and then having experienced their unfaithfulness for the next 3,500 years as they pursued their ever-evolving religious interest. It's fair to say that Yahweh has been reasonably patient. For God to grow sufficiently furious, for there to be a day of anger and rage, the overwhelming preponderance of his people have had to do a lot to offend him. And since Jews are no more or less immoral or political than the rest of us, the only institution engendering such animosity from God is Judaism, where Jews are defined by their religion. It is the religious who have perverted the truth about God. Yahweh's furious. Therefore, God is not returning to satisfy souls, but instead to disembowel the religious, eviscerating them. If you're squeamish, you may want to distance yourself from the rabbis. I am, and I have. Otherwise... Mm -hmm their propensity to corrupt Yahweh's testimony will remain an obstacle precluding your return and restoration. The religious will literally be stumbling over themselves. Religious dress-up is not sanctioned by God. In fact, he thinks it's ridiculous. Those who do so offend him, from rabbis to popes, But there is something worse than wearing a black morning suit or white robes. And that is to adorn men as God. This is what Christians have done with Jesus and rabbis have done by venerating their own, even elevating their words above his. The second statement that Yahweh etched in stone while on Mount Choreb asked us not to be religious. And yet Judaism is replete with fanciful citations, misleading role models, and objects of worship, all of which God sees as revolting. Even enraged, however, God remains fair, giving his people over to their religion. It has always been a simple choice between religion and their relationship. And these Jews will be offered their heart's desire. Unfortunately for them, since God hates religion, their choice will forever estrange them from him, which suggests a long stay in Sheol. Outside of God's protection, the worst of men will plunder and the people will die. The land will be 
savaged. While preying upon Jews has never turned out well for anyone and will cost the latter-day imposters their lives, the world will continue to find Israel to be an irresistible target. Before I read this, Kirk, it's it's apparent to me in, in studying Yahweh's testimony. And I've just finished translating the opening lines of Daniel, and it's so appropriate in this case. Daniel began his testimony by saying, I was reading the written text of the prophet, particularly Yirmiyah. And as I read that text, it became apparent to me by making the connections needed to understand that our time here would be 70 years. Then he goes on to explain how by systematically, diligently, thoroughly studying, closely examining and carefully considering the word of God, Uh that he was able to put the pieces together so that he would understand God's timeline. And it's the same for us. Oh, yeah. We can look at what God said and understand what happened when and why and what's going to happen and when and why in the future. It's all there for us. So as we consider what, uh, what is being said here, um, understand that, that God has given us all of the tools that we need, all of the answers that we could ever want for what's going to happen, when, and why. He says, so I will turn my face away from them as they profane and defile They corrupt and besmirch my treasured and cherished place. God can't even bear to look at them. And then the brutality, the ruthless and ferociously violent and destructive thieves shall come upon her and they will desecrate her. Listen, I I was in Israel. I Mm -hmm. said that I would never go back unless it was after Yahweh had uh, done considerable urban renewal. Because it's a repulsive place. I'm sorry. You've got religious morons everywhere. You've got religious shrines everywhere. And until that stuff's gone, it stinks to high heaven. And God's saying it's going to get worse. They're going to continue to profane and defile and corrupt and besmirch what he treasures. What could be worse than building a shrine to Satan on the top of the Mount Moriah, the Temple Mount? What could be worse than having the most repulsive of Jews stand at the western wall of that Temple Mount and bob their heads with rote religious prayers, fighting this, uh, these last two days against the, even the Israeli police to keep 
women from being able to pray and to keep anyone other than the ultra-Orthodox from being able to even approach the site. And oh, by the way, since they claim to be Torah observant, can you tell me how many times the Hebrew word that can be translated prayer is used in the Torah? Not off the top of my head. I, I can. Hello. Okay. Zero. Oh, zero. Zero is the number of times that the it appears they, in the Torah. Yes, yes. God has no interest in us praying to him. No. God's interest is in us listening to him. It's hard to listen to him when you're yabbering. So I will turn my face. God can't even bear to look. And then the brutally worthless and the ferociously violent and destructive thieves shall come and they will desecrate her. Fashion chains because the land is filled with deadly judgment and bloody decision making. And the city is replete with injustice and terrorism, maiming and plunder. And I will simply allow the worst of the Gentiles to take possession, to steal and possess their homes. For I must put an end to the arrogance of the empowered, such that their sanctuaries, shrines and temples are treated with contempt. Yaketzel, God crows, Ezekiel 7.24. Looking the other way, and allowing the worst of the Gentiles to slither in, such that the arrogance of the empowered, the rabbis within Israel, have all of their sanctuaries, their shrines, their temples, treated with contempt. Jalal, seen as defiled and desecrated. Kirk, for the past 6,000 years, God has given humankind the choice to live with him or apart from him. And while this exercise in free will has seldom worked out as Yahweh would have liked, the option to extend our lives is about to end. The many who have decided they prefer religion to the covenant, man's promises to Yahweh's testimony, must die in order for the earth to be as Eden. And for mankind to live, those who would kill must die. Terror must subside for shalom to commence. When you put the pieces of Yahweh's timeline together, you realize that the story of Eden, which is the first story we're told after creation, mm-hmm. is detailed so that we'd understand this is what God wants. This is the kind of relationship he desires. Well, and came every day. Uh, which is, yeah, is the seventh step along the path to God, which means to camp out with God, is the return to Eden. Mm-hmm. Mankind was kicked out of Eden, what, just now 12 years shy of 6,000 years ago. And we're about to return. But for us to return, the conditions on earth must be as they were in Eden. And in Eden, there was no money. 
There was no government. No. There were no politicians. There was no religion. There were no temples or shrines. There were no militaries. There were no police. All of these things will go. All of them. Pride is a stubborn beast. And power is something few give up without a fight. Therefore, the time has come to bring down the rabbis and to break the self-esteem of Jews. To be blunt, the implementation of this will include the worst of the Gentiles. And they will do as they have always done. They will respond by ransacking and pillaging. Should you want a preview of what's going to occur and have an interest in seeing the mindset which will unleash hell on earth, walk into a church, a synagogue, a mosque, but don't stay very long, lest you be infected by their plagues. Yakitzel 725 reads, Anguishing terrorism will come, and they will seek peace and reconciliation but there will be none no peace treaty mankind has been vicious Kirk uh, um, for all 6,000 years of recorded civilization in fact the history of civilization is of war and viciousness and it's not just viciousness to one's neighbors it's viciousness to one's own people Um, Mm -hmm. a number of Romans that Romans killed was enormous. The, nor- the, the, the Greeks were murderous of Greeks. The Spartans were particularly murderous of Spartans. Most nations sacrificed humans to their gods. They were all warlike. They all ravaged their neighbors. One thing is different today, and that is we have a religion today that is based on terrorism, Islam. Mm-hmm. And that religion exists primarily to aggravate and annihilate Jews. So we're witnessing the fulfillment of Ezekiel 7.25. And no one seeks peace more than the Jews do. Shalom, shalom. But not only has there been none, there will be none. The so-called two-state solution, trust Mm -hmm. me, it is the final solution. And I mean that with all the implications to Nazi Germany. The viciousness and hopelessness of terrorism has been deployed by the ignorant, by the irrational, by the immoral, especially by the religious, to harass the and oppress humankind for countless centuries. You've got... Camilla Harris, I, uh, she's got to be the dumbest kumquat in the orchard. I mean, I, I don't, I cannot even imagine a country electing a less qualified individual than Camilla Harris. Uh, but nonetheless, she came out the other day and said, you know, uh, well, two days before Russia invaded the Ukraine, she says, we value and praise and support 
Ukraine's decision to become part of NATO. That was the triggering event for the evasion. And now she says that the viciousness and the, the carnage of the Russian invasion is the worst the world has ever seen. It isn't even in the top 30 of current wars. It isn't even within a sniff of what we did in Japan, firebombing cities and dropping two atomic bombs. It isn't even within a million miles Mm -hmm. of our sulfur bombing, white sulfur bombings of Dresden and other German civilizations and uh, uh, civilian centers without any war consequence whatsoever, just simply to make life miserable. It isn't even approach what Sherman did in his terrorist march to the sea. Mm-hmm. Or to it the isn't Indians. close to what Stalin mm-hmm. did to his people. It isn't close to what Mao Zedong did to his people. It isn't even in the hemisphere of what we did in Iraq, in Afghanistan, and Syria. We are such hypocrites. But terrorism has become the order of the day. Only in Islam, however, among the world's religion, was the founder a terrorist. So once again, we see specificity in Yahweh's prophetic predictions. Islam, however, is not alone. Nothing in human history has wrought more misfortune, more tragedy and catastrophe than religion, especially Judaism, Christianity, and, of course, Islam, even socialist, secular humanism, which has been the deadliest of all. Mm-hmm. Each is predicated upon lifeless and stupefying messages, appalling hearsay, which causes the Torah's teachings to be squandered. Now, that's not my opinion, but instead, God's conclusion. With the West having provoked the Russian invasion of the Ukraine, with their designs to bring it into NATO and supply copious amounts of advanced weapons, we now find Western leaders vying with one another for who can spit the most effectively at the man who may be a psychopath. Stupid is just too kind a word to describe such idiocy, particularly since he has at his fingertips more nuclear weapons than any other nation on Earth. And with all of the rhetoric, the weapons, the threats, the sanctions, with the epic miscasting of the players and events which led to war, the world is playing a deadly game of continued escalation. There is no solution to be found in imposing sanctions or sending more weapons. Both will serve to increase animosity and body bags. The disaster these political miscalculations are precipitating would have been obvious if people were capable of rational thought. But alas, in war, the first casualty is the truth. Always. And that has already been in very short supply. Today, the news came out of, uh, of Israel and the Ukraine that the prime minister of, uh, of Israel, 
who has uh, been trying to play a peacemaker between the Ukraine and Putin, that uh, Bennett um, was privy to the Russian armistice agreement with Ukraine that came out today. Uh, I have not read it. I, I assume that it is surrender. And Bennett's response to the Ukraine was take it. If you value the lives of your people, take it. Because if you don't take it, they're going to die. Of course, the Ukrainians said no. And it uh, is a terrible and tragic mistake. Should you wonder why I have continued to mention the invasion of the Ukraine other than to present the devastating and deadly consequence of the degradation of evidence and reason that is sweeping the world today is because I wanted to show the specificity of Yahweh's prophecies. From the very outset, uh, Kirk, and we talked about this uh, briefly at the beginning of this program, God has Uh been accusing today's most virulent, outspoken, and hostile embodiment of Judaism of misleading his people and sealing their fate. Therefore, the specific sects that he is lambasting are comprised of Herodim, which are the ultra-Orthodox, and the Datim, the Orthodox, which are essentially slightly more civilized variations of their more insular brothers. This archaic and dysregulated expression of Judaism is the fastest growing religious cult in the world. At current birth rates, its population is doubling every 16 years. The Herodim will rise from 19% of Israeli Jews to represent 25% by Yahweh's return, comprising the overwhelming preponderance of the overtly religious individuals in a state that is equally secular. These Talmud toters are viciously aggressive, and they are famously intolerant, such that they have cowered and silenced all dissenting religious influences, including reform and conservative movements, which now comprise a scant 5% of Israeli Jews. Today in Israel, the only rival to Orthodox and ultra-Orthodox strains of Judaism are secular Jews, Mm -hmm. who currently represent about half of the Israeli population. But they seem to have no power over the religious. The Heredi from Chared, which means to tremble in fear, are identified by their black mourning clothes, their black hats, and their girly curly cues. The women don't have curly cues because they make them shave their heads. It's part of their humiliation. But the men do. Should we use that term? They travel in swarms, 
They're often seen bobbing their heads before the Wailing Wall. Representing the most devoutly religious community in Israel, they have become a cancer, quickly metastasizing to suck the life out of the nation and the people. The lives of Haredi men are consumed by studying their religious texts at yeshiva seminaries instead of working. And yet, in spite of state funding, their yeshivas, their schools, do not provide curriculums in math, the sciences, or English so that the rabbis can keep their victims locked away in an intellectual ghetto. Well, the expectation is that the secular and working Mm -hmm. Israelis will continue to provide these parasites with a lifelong stipend to remain religious. Haredi women make babies, over seven on average per female. Everyone's life is consumed with halakha, Jewish religious law, monotonous prayer, and of course, antagonizing Yahweh. Haredi Judaism, the voice of the religion in Israel, was conceived and developed in and spread like a virus out of, you guessed it, the Ukraine. Um, uh, Very close to the Romanian and Moldovia border, south uh, uh, western Ukraine would be the uh, the location south of uh, of Kiev, uh, not far from the Romanian and Moldavo uh, uh, Moldova uh, border is where um, it was conceived. The instigator <laughs> of the cult, most identified with Judaism today, he was a Kabbalist rabbi, the mystic Israel Ben Elizer who became known as Baal Shem Tov, the Lord of the Good Name. Lord of the Good Name, gosh. Throw up. <laughs> During the 18th century, when the Jews were fighting Jews in the Ukraine, Israel Elizer first opposed, then sided with the Talmudic, who were opposing the Frankists. It's common for Jews to be engaged in a civil war. As a matter of fact, Judaism actually emerged out of a civil war. That's the uh-huh. the whole Maccabean revolt mm-hmm. was yes. uh, over should Yahweh's plan where uh, the priests inherit the job by being born into the tribe of the Loi and serve without compensation during the Moed Mikre, or should men who covet religious power take their place and uh, that is the essence of the Maccabean revolt uh, well the most conservative the most orthodox strain of Judaism was also born in the middle of one of these civil wars this time between the Frankists and the Talmudists in Ukraine the instigator of uh, of uh, of this of course on the uh decided that he was going to be on the talmudist side was uh Baal Shem Tov. now he initially did side with the talmudic who were opposing the frankists now the founder of the frankists was jacob frank he was a polish jew who claimed to be 
the reincarnation of the self-proclaimed Messiah, Shabbatai Zevi, who claimed to be the reincarnation of the patriarch Jacob, who, who by the way, <laughs> recanted Judaism and converted to Islam when faced with death, which personally yeah. I think is sort of odd for, for a person who believes in reincarnation. Yeah, thanks. thanks for the <laughs> remedy. A, a decision like that prior to death. Uh-huh. But uh, it shows that dude was a hypocrite. <laughs> anyway. Uh, Sorry. The, uh, the church uh, sided with the Frankists, and they burned every available copy of the Talmud, such that the followers of Jacob Frank converted to Christianity rather than assimilate under the mystic rabbi. Now, Elizer filled, with the, uh, filled this ensuing vacuum with the Talmuds all burnt and destroyed with his words. This fellow never actually wrote anything, leaving an empty slate upon which his disciples and successors, most notably Rabbi Jacob Joseph, and compose whatever served their interests. For example, the best, as he was also known, is, uh, is said to have claimed to have achieved uh, devkut, adhesion. Uh, I, I used adhesion today. I was putting up some, some <laughs> tile in, uh, in my office, and I wanted them to, <laughs> to adhere to the uh, uh, to the countertop I was, uh, was putting them on. So too. I have also, I want you to know, I too have achieved adhesion. Now, I I did it with liquid nails, but there you go. don't look behind the curtain. All right, anyway, he is said That's... to have achieved adhesion, which I guess was a miracle because liquid nails didn't exist. No. That his soul could ascend to heaven and speak with anybody he wished. Well, not true. If it had occurred, it would have been in direct violation of Yahweh's Torah instructions yes. on communicating with the deceased. Legend had it that the mighty Elizer, lone ascension, he could adhere, but he could only, he only did it once. His lone ascension, same thing as Paul, by the way, he had a lone ascension. Uh, same thing mm-hmm. as Muhammad, by the way. All three of them yeah, share this yeah. common. Wow. Yep. Was to speak with the Messiah. Yeah, he didn't. Uh, he didn't have any interest in speaking with Yahweh. No, he wanted to speak <laughs> to the Messiah. Didn't even want to chat with Moshe or Dot. Listen, I'm going to Shamaim. First guy I'm going to speak to is Yahweh. Say amen. I just just want to thank you for all of uh, uh, the experiences we've we've had together. Can't wait for eternity. I know you're busy. You've got a lot of people to meet and greet and and, uh, have a great time. But I do want to say, I couldn't pass this opportunity to say hello. Now, could you tell me where where Moshe and Dod is and and my pal uh, uh, Yashaya and Elliot, where the other guys are hanging out? And then where, where the... Latter Day uh, Covenant members are because you know, I'd like to go chat with them. That's where I'm going, man. <sighs> and if I want to speak to the Messiah, I know that dude. He's dope. Uh, anyway, 
he wanted to speak to the that uh, was his one trip up there going to speak to the Messiah and through prayer, by the way, now he claims that he did this, not through adhesion, allegedly asked the identified Hamasiak to intervene between G-D and man to ward off a plague. Now, while Dr. Messiah did not make the requested house call, he was conveniently supportive of Dear Rabbi. Yes, indeed. Stating that his oh, arrival, that the Messiah's arrival would not coincide with Yom Kippurim, of course not. Not happen in year 6,000, yeah. Not happen on a date that is well established by, uh, nope. It's going to be delayed. I bet you didn't know that. But yeah, dear, dear Rabbi was told that the arrival would be delayed until this is what the Messiah told him. Quote, your learning, not Yahweh's, is made no. known and revealed <clears throat> to the world. And its source, which would be dear Rabbi, will spread and all can recite Yaudem and experience spiritual ascent as you can. <laughs> if you believe such a thing, then Yaketzel is composing your obituary. Well, I find it intriguing that this paradigm of evil shared a fascination also with Chabaok. That's fascinating, isn't it? We know a lot about Chabaok because that was Paul's favorite. And, of course, Chabaok actually calls Shaul, Paul, the plague of death. But nonetheless, Mm -hmm. he was absolutely fascinated with it, like a moth to the flame. Well, so was was a dear rabbi. He, He... in his class, Israel ben Eliezer misquoted Chabauk Habachuk 2.4 to suggest, this was his twisting of it, the righteous mm-hmm. can vivify by his faith. Now, I'm, I thought I had a pretty decent vocabulary. In fact, I'm told a lot of times people read these books with a thesaurus or with a dictionary sitting, sitting somewhere beside them. Because you know, I've, I've been doing this a long time. Uh, and I'm making up for, by the way, for, for this being my worst subject in school. I, uh, I got A's in every subject except English. So mm. my English teachers would, would be surprised. But nonetheless, uh, I think I've got a decent vocabulary. I had to look up Vivify. I don't know about you, Kirk. Did you know what Vivify means? I, I had, I had, no, I have not looked it up. But, um... Well, it's kissing cousins for reincarnation. Okay. So he says that the Torah says the righteous can reincarnate by his faith. That's perfect because, wow. of course, the Talmudists are the frankest that he was uh, fighting. Uh, he was a reincarnated um, Talmudist turned uh, Christian turned Muslim. Muslim, yeah. Well, yeah. It's, all, it's, all, it's, all, you know, it's all good in the end, right? It's all, it's all good. Yeah. Okay. Well... Since Yahweh is revealing that uh, unmitigated disasters and ruinous conspiracies would plague Israelites at this time, and as a result of their reprehensible religion, it is telling that the birthplace of Hasidic Judaism is also the scene of the most frequent and vicious pogroms in human history. 
with over 80% occurring in the Ukraine. The worst and one of the most traumatic in Jewish history was the Kamilsky uprising. It began in 1648 and lasted eight years through 1656. The Cossacks under uh, Gogdan uh, Kimilisky murdered tens of thousands of Jews. They didn't think they were even worth remembering. So we don't know if it was 20,000, 30,000, or 100,000. This is particularly sickening, considering Ukrainians still venerate this psychopath, mm-hmm. the most dominant statue uh, in their freedom squares of him sitting proudly on his war steed in Kiev, directing his butchers to terrorize Jews. And his hideous mug is one of those on their banknotes. Keeping it in the family, the Ukraine is also the site of the earliest and most egregious Holocaust massacre. It occurred at the onset of Operation Barbarossa, the war between Germany and Russia. Russia. Mm-hmm. On 27-28 August 1941, a Ukrainian police battalion, the SS Eisenstappengruppen, Hungarian soldiers, and the Ukrainian Nazi auxiliary systematically murdered 23,600 Jews. It was the prelude to the final solution. So should you be wondering why the Ukraine is under assault, and if the Ukraine is worth defending, you may want to consider what has occurred from Yahweh's perspective. Mm -hmm. The moment this occurred, I took a very different approach to the Ukraine than uh, everyone else, because I knew this history. It repulsed me. It repulses Yahweh. The most debilitating villain his people would ever endure, Hasidic Judaism, was conceived and it metastasized in the Ukraine. And the Christian Ukrainians who surrounded them were infamously vicious toward Jews, exterminating them. What worse place for us to approach the end of days? I would be remiss if I didn't also share that the Poles were second to the Ukrainians in torturing Jews in their pre-Nazi era pogroms. Little wonder that the worst of the concentration camps were in Poland, or that the Poles are so insistent in whitewashing their anti-Semitic past. So do not be surprised if the current battleground between NATO and Russia spills over into the state for American troops and weapons. 
Yaketzel would report through Yahweh. Disaster upon disaster will come, and rumor upon rumor, hearsay and conspiracy will come to exist, and they will seek a revelation from a prophet while the Torah is lost on the ministers, the priests and clerics, and on the counsel and advice of the society's leaders. Yaketzel, Ezekiel 7.26. If you wonder where the material and uh, revelation came from, you're reading it. Mm -hmm. Disaster upon disaster will come. Rumor upon rumor, hearsay and conspiracy. Well, I said that the fastest growing religious cult in the world today is Hasidic Judaism. The fastest growing broad-based religion in the world is conspiracy. Mm-hmm. It's conspiracy theory, yeah. yeah. And it's going to come and exist. And at this point, they're going to seek a prophet. A revelation from a prophet. You know, remember, Revelation even speaks of the uh, the false prophet and uh, of mm-hmm. uh, the, and, uh, no, the false, one. Uh, yeah, Masayak. Well, mm-hmm. they're going to seek a prophet. They'll believe anybody. So long as that person besmirches the Torah. Translating Paul's letters and uh, writing, questioning Paul, the four volumes, it became obvious to me that should there be an anti-Masayak, should there be a false prophet, um, that person is going to be indistinguishable from Paul. You want to know what they're going to be like. Paul, too, was a rabbi. Yes, But the reason that they're going to seek a prophet is because they don't listen to the Torah. Oh, Kirk, I can tell you for certain that I'm not seeking a prophet. Why? No. Because two reasons, really. I've got 40 of them here, and I don't have enough time between now and the time Yahweh returns to do 40 of them. Right, right. So the last thing I want is another prophet. I mean... There is ample material here. You want to know what's going to happen? God told you it's going to happen. So the last thing I want is another prophet. I'd like somebody to do what we're doing, which is to explain what the prophets said and to convey it in a way that is riveting and compelling so some people wake up to the Torah. But we don't need another prophet. We could Mm -hmm. use some witnesses, but... We have the Torah. We have the prophets. We have the Mizmor. God provided the answers that we need. The consequence of religion and human governance is disaster upon disaster. That's why we began our program covering the news. Mm -hmm. And for both, it is a steady stream of unfounded opinions, none of which are verifiable. We have entered a, a period, Kirk, that is like none other in human history where the voice of the media, the most shrill voice in the public domain, the dominant voice now in politics worldwide, the voice of academia is that of the progressives, of cancel culture, of woke. And this voice goes so far beyond liberalism so far beyond socialist secular humanism, so far beyond political correctness, 
They go all the way into the realm of complete ignorance and being totally irrational. Evidence no longer means anything. Reason is irrelevant. This is the politics and the academia of make-believe. We've entered the realm that God spoke of. Hearsay and conspiracy, rumor upon rumor, unfounded opinions. That's where we are. That's why I began a program about um, a month ago saying, I'm, I'm actually afraid for what's happening. I'm not afraid for me. I'm not afraid for you. I'm no. not afraid for any covenant member. No. Uh, I know what's going to happen. The world is tumbling out of control at such a rate, and there are so few voices of reason, so many, so few adults, just rational people who are evidence and reason based. Mm-hmm. There's so few of them. You know, that it's exist. hard to imagine how we don't tumble into complete economic chaos and world war. Years before, I thought it was going to occur. God doesn't tell us if the last three wars are fought in between 2030 and 2033, or if they begin a little sooner. It doesn't, we just know that there's going to be multiple wars. And he told us that the terrorism is going to rise and conspiracy is going to rise and and there will be a rise of, of lies and disinformation. We know all that's going to happen, and we know we only have 11 years left. So a lot has to happen in a short period of time. But I had hoped that we would have more time before the onslaught of utter and complete idiocy and stupidity. Hey, and I, I had hoped way. this because... Yeah. With this happening, it's only a matter of time now between now and the time that a uh, country that I really like, Taiwan, is, uh, is taken over by China. Mm-hmm. Before uh, China pulls the plug on the free enterprise experiment and, uh, and goes full tilt communism. Uh, between now and the time that world governments choke out all liberty and all economic prosperity either through their mythical war on the virus, a mythical war on uh, climate change, or now this self-imposed war against uh, Russia. Um, But in the midst of this, it's only a matter of time between one of those casualties of this conflict, Iran, which now would have no reason to uh, capitulate because you can't preclude the world having access to Russian and Iranian oil without quadrupling the price of oil and devastating the world's economies. Um, You, um, the moment you do that, you've given the Iranians the ability to create their bomb and they're the most likely to use it starting a nuclear war. Uh, there's nothing to preclude in, in the world the way it is right now for Hezbollah to begin its assault on Israel or for Hamas, Islamic Jihad, the PLO, 
to resume their attacks. There's Assad has nothing to lose at this point. Yeah, who's going to stop him? So we are in a in a position where the elevation in academia and in and politics of progressives who are almost universally anti-Israel. And it's so stupid. They actually believe there's such a thing called a Palestine and a Palestinian people and that these mythical people are the ones being oppressed. Um, Jews are getting it from all sides. And the Biden administration has been as destructive to Israel as probably any in American history reversing years of, of uh, progress. And we talked about that even when, when uh, Donald Trump was, uh, was creating such a positive aura around Israel that this is going to end, and so the next president is going to be exceedingly anti-Semitic, and he is. And his vice president is worse. So if we come to an end of weekended Bernie's, then we're going to have... Mm-hmm unmitigated disaster. So we don't have a lot of time. And as I was telling my wife uh, this morning that when I was a bit agonizing over this, listen, I I live in a wonderful place. I have the best job in the world. I'm as happy and content as a person can be. But I'm still concerned for God's people. I'm concerned for, for them because as the world tumbles into economic chaos and into war, freedom of speech is is going to go away. And it's going to be more and more difficult to disseminate this message. So if you're not listening now, I don't know when you're going to be given that opportunity. You don't have as much time as you might think. If you've come upon this because of the outreach of social media recently you've come upon this because it was recommended by a friend um, a web search of a uh, of a term that was interesting to you whether you're goyim or yehudim you have very little time left and yahweh is calling his people home it's now or never All right, my friend, that's a, a place for us to uh, to end. Uh, I'm sorry yeah. for dominating the conversation. This is no, 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 no. A, it's all good. A tough it's all good. I, uh, yeah, I've uh, been thinking all the same thoughts. It's interesting that you uh, the timeline and so forth. Even though I, I know certain things will happen on certain according to certain events, but uh, uh, I don't. It's got to be some way that this gets out. Uh, but, you know, y'all will, will do something or help us do something. Well, he's uh, actually it is. said he's going to do very little uh, until uh, <laughs> his return where there's not yeah. going to be a lot to clean up. And, you know, God's going yeah. to eliminate the religious and the political yes. and the militaristic upon his okay. return. So it's safe for his people. But yes. the fact is that the way we're headed right now, there won't be a lot of a lot of that to clean up. Yeah. Most most humans will have annihilated themselves based upon their bad choices. Um, mm-hmm. uh, we're headed to nuclear war. It's um, and the consequence of that is grievous. There there is no putting that genie back in the bottle. 
No, nuclear after the, after complete the war. Complete economic yeah. collapse. There, there is no reset that's going to work. Devastating. The pain that's going to be perpetrated on people. Hmm. So, <clears throat> if uh, if you are a Yehud, a Jew, please listen. Yahweh is your God. He is the God of Israel. He is calling you home. If you are a Goyim, you're welcome to participate in the covenant family and join us in entering God's home, being part of his family. Uh, the entire works, uh, nearly 25 volumes at this point, are available at yadayah.com. If you prefer to actually turn the pages of a book, uh, you can buy them under the Yada Yawa series at uh, Amazon. Yada means to know, to become familiar with, to acknowledge and to understand, and Yahweh is God's one and only name. The whole series is presented under the title Yada Yawa. For those who are new to this message, then I would suggest you begin with volumes one, two, and three of an introduction to God. Um, much of three is posted on the site. The book will be published within the next few weeks. Okay, uh, but uh, one and two, by the time you're through reading one, should you start uh, today, uh, by the time you're finished reading one, my guess is we'll be ready with three long before you complete two. Three will be the longest book so far of any volume we have written. And then you can Great begin time. with the beginning the story of creation, the story of man, the story of the covenant called the family, and then three volumes on the Moed Mikre, Invitation, Harvest, and Appointments, followed by the five books called Observations, where we talk about what God had to say about religion and politics, his Torah, his people, from perspective to covenant to growing to teaching and understanding and thus far there's two of what will be three or four volumes of um, coming home the first is a voice the second messiah and for those who are coming out of christianity or for those who are jews or secular humanists and want to understand how in the world did this religion grow to be so many people and how could so many people be so wrong then i would recommend questioning Paul. And there's four volumes from Torahless, or Liar's Lie, Torahless, Devil's Advocate, and Incredible. And in those volumes, the entirety of the Christian New Testament is destroyed. Um, and we use Yahweh's words to dispel the myths of the Christian religion. So if you've got a problem with that, take it up with God and see how that works for you. All right, Kirk, it's uh, my pleasure to be with you. I'm, I'm uh, Again, Thank I you. apologize for having a message that is, no, no, uh, no, no. that is so harsh, but this is the message God wants his people to hear. Um, it's in every one of the prophets. You don't cherry-pick the prophets to find it. It's the dominant yeah. theme. Um, yes. And so God's not happy with, uh, with his people. He is disgusted by the religion of Judaism. The covenant has always had a prerequisite, which is to walk away from Babel, from the influence of religion and politics. 
and God's not about to change. So happy Shabbat to one and all. We look forward to being with you this time next week. Uh, it's a lot to read. I hope that those of you who have, even those of you who have read all the books of the Yada Yahweh series, take them up again. Um, mm-hmm. They are so much richer and fuller and uh, more complete and more accurate and compelling. Uh, you know, there may have been several hundred unique insights that had not been considered for well, better part of 3,000 years in the originals. It's got to be mm-hmm. five to ten times that many now. Um, God has been very, very open with us in conveying his message. He wants you to know it. He wants you to know who he is, what he is offering, and what he is asking in return. And he is offering everything that you could possibly want. Immortality, perfection, to be adopted into his family, to be enriched, to be empowered, to be enlightened. He wants to transform you into a witness for him and for his people so that there can be a wonderful celebration on the Day of Reconciliations, and then when it is all over, we can camp out with him as we return to the conditions experienced in Eden. Well, may you all blessed, and thank you, Curtis, for being part of the program, and those of you who are listening, and those of you who are helping to disseminate this message. May you all bless you all. Good night. Good night.